Good afternoon. Um, welcome to the Insight Podcast in Focus. Today I have with me Dr. Gareth Cantor, who is a clinical consultant at Insight Actuaries. He's just had a talk at Foresight. His topic was AI in healthcare, democratizing or dystopian. So I guess maybe to kick us off, Gary, could you just maybe just take us briefly through what inspired the title of the talk and what was the talk about? Yeah, thanks, Mr. Mbisa. I mean, I've been following technology in healthcare for a long time. Uh, back in the day when electronic health records were still being developed and gradually implemented. So I've followed technology a long time and interested in, uh, you know, how one do, does this well and productively. I've been a frontline clinician, so hands-on with a lot of tech. I'm an anesthesiologist, so we tend to be people who like devices and sort of interested in the engineering side of things. So, so I've always been interested in all of that. And then over my career, got more interested in, in, in systems and safety and so on. So I've been following this for a long time. And the AI, um, part of it has been, for me, relatively recent. And I think probably for most of the world, uh, suddenly a new thing. And that's because uh, it's been what, in my talk today, I described as task-based AI with very specific applications that's been quite a long time in the making and gradually come on stream into healthcare. And so, you know, less radical, less revolutionary. We're sort of getting used to the idea all along that uh, machine learning-based AI is going to come into practice. What's been unbelievable, actually, I think, to almost every observer is the advent of this new kind of AI that this morning uh, Christoph took us into in quite a lot of detail, sort of go under the hood to understand what generative AI, that's ChatGPT and all the sort of associated technologies can do, which are quite extraordinary, uh, human-like in their capabilities. And we, you know, we need to start thinking about both the opportunity or what I call democratizing healthcare, our industry, uh, but also, clearly, there are tremendous possible negatives around this, which which is what I called a dystopia. So, hence the democratizing versus dystopia. And I think everyone is seeing this. There are people who are what one could label as gloomers, and uh, I, sometimes I'm in that camp, I have to say. Um, when we look at sort of the problems in the world, the big ones, you know, and the, the dystopia in politics and the dystopia around, you know, potential for climate change and so on, it's quite easy to see AI as part of all of that negative stuff. But I think, you know, we're here at Foresight to be optimistic. <laughs> and I use the term uh, techno-optimism, both uh, as positive and a negative. So some people see techno-optimism as a naive thing. It's the idea that, you know, you've got some fancy new new technology the engineers came up with and generally, you know, not talking to the clinicians about the reality of, of care. And, and, you know, they come up with a great technology, whether it's an information technology or something else, and they expect it to work. And turns out it doesn't so much. And actually, Microsoft, one of the companies that I, I referred to today, without any special uh, affiliation to them, um, but they've invested heavily. Microsoft and Google and others have quite a long history of really failure 
in, in healthcare that probably stems from, you know, not listening to what people, you know, not understanding and not connecting to aims is the language that I use today. You know, what's the aim of healthcare? What kind of outcomes are we trying to generate? And what is the work? And what is the workflow of healthcare? So that's just to give you some sort of context about um, why I got interested. I think we should all be interested in generative AI and what it could do, and we should think about the negatives, and we should think and start exploiting some of the enormous potential uh, positive results, including, I think you're saying, Masimba, that um, shortages of skills are, are really a huge problem everywhere in the world, particularly in our context in, in Southern Africa. So, you know, let's bring it home. And let's look at the shortages. I'm not so much in the private sector, but you know, huge shortage of skills in the public sector of South Africa that cares for most of the population. And what can AI do to augment? It's a term that I used, augment the skills that we do have. Maybe some automation, um, but we've got lots of people, you know, so we should think about how to get the most out of the clinicians that we have and augment them with AI. And, and that's starting to come on stream. But when we do this, you know, look at the evidence for whether things work, um, do it gradually, uh, think about the potential negatives, and, and this applies to any time we, we make interventions into a healthcare system. Thank you for that. I guess the, the one for me, I mean, just a few things from your presentation that stood out is quite early on, you know, you put a very interesting context on, you know, you've got AI that's very topical, but Healthcare systems are always stressed, but post-pandemic, probably more stressed than they have been before. And I guess maybe for me is that when you've got a stressed or a straight system, one could argue, do you have capacity to consider something new? That's on the one end. And then I guess you could argue from the other end, because you don't have the capacity to give as much care as you used to historically, you need to look for something different. I mean, what are your thoughts on sort of those two conflicting ideas that one, just we're under pressure, don't try anything new, or we're under pressure, let's find a way to get out of this rut. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so yeah, we're coming out of a pandemic. Pre-pandemic, the data about burnout in South Africa, there's studies, quite a lot of studies in South Africa um, documenting the extent of burnout amongst healthcare professionals in South Africa. It was huge pre-pandemic. And I'm not, I've not seen any recent studies, but we know anecdotally that, that you know, people are not doing well. And we've got huge current shortages and even bigger projected shortages of healthcare professionals, particularly nursing. So, yeah, anytime one introduces, and I'm just trying to say this today, anytime one introduces into a complex system like healthcare, and that could be a clinic, a ward, a whole hospital, a whole healthcare system, use any new technology, you're going to, you know, have what some people call resistance to change, but really it's just uh, people seeing um, a new thing come on and potentially creating additional burden uh, on the work that they do. So I think, um, you know, there are methods for making change that some very old ideas, but some very good and tested ideas around starting small, uh, testing, you know, one patient, one doctor at a time kind of idea. So I think that's that's part of it. I think that it's also, you know, having a bit of a longer term view. So saying, look, um, this technology 
our theory is, our prediction is, it's going to be able to help solve some of these problems of short shortages of you know, numbers and skills of people. Um, so there's going to be a little bit of a bump, a little bit of a requirement for investment uh, before we can get there. And let's incorporate that because we've got a long-term view and, and measure it. So um, I, I don't think it's inherently different than introducing anything else into the systems that we have here. But because there's so many possibilities, I had one slide that was just, the title was everything, because it is everything. You know, it's drug discovery, it's telemedicine, it's uh, healthcare data, you know, and it's administrative tasks. And maybe that's, you know, kind of, I'm suggesting that that's one of the key areas to look into, is how can we improve the administrative tasks that are currently assigned to healthcare professionals and, you know, automate or replace that with other people so that those clinicians can do the job that they're trained to do, which is, you know, interact directly one-on-one with patients, maybe with an AI, you know, on the side to, to nudge and guide you to a better decision. Uh, and, that, and that's the way forward. Easy to say, hard to and, and I guess if we think about, I guess there is the, there's the hurdle of, I guess, some kind of engagement between people who do build the AI bots and technicians to find a reasonable solution about what's workable. But then there's always the regulatory impact. So, you know, outside, I guess maybe your presentation and Christoph spoke about is that outside of healthcare, how do you regulate its use is a big concern. Now, if I come back to healthcare, which is where we're talking about this, the provision of care, given how long that process takes, first, I guess there's, there's a capacity perspective is that healthcare regulators, do they have the capacity to be able to actually advise clinicians on this, to be able to verify, to set some kind of criteria or threshold? Would that not be an obstacle? You know, just what are your thoughts in terms of the regulatory frameworks? I guess maybe whether we're talking in South Africa or abroad, how easy would it be for us to adopt this in healthcare? Yeah. <laughs> well, when we say adopt this, you know, there's a there's a lot in there. So there's a lot of ingredients, a lot of potential interventions. I think some of it will will, will be directed by not so much pushing this onto clinicians. I think there's going to be pull when people see, like, as a as a clinician, you know, not currently active. When when I see uh, that much, when I see that. AI could help me do a specific thing. Well, the example I gave was to do uh, a brachial plexus block um, and stick a needle in someone's neck under guidance. That's going to pull me, and I purchased my own device, and I'm hoping that the, you know AI will help me do that procedure more effectively. And so that's on the you know I think the pull is going to be part of it. Your question about regulation, I mean you know. There's safety, obviously. Every time we introduce something new in healthcare, we, we already regulate drugs. You know, we just we don't say to drug companies, hey, if, you know, just ha- bring, package it and bring it on. So that's, that's not a foreign concept in healthcare that we need to be safe and effective. And we've got regulatory mechanisms and we need to start to apply those mechanisms to this kind of intervention. We haven't actually done that much with technology outside of drugs. Um, in terms of regulation, and I think that that's going to come on stream now. We're going to have similar kinds of processes. And then I think that you introduced this really good question by asking about, you know, the engineers. 
And what I, what I said in my talk was, you know, part, part of where these kinds of things have failed in the past is this techno-optimism. The, the engineers see a solvable problem and they say, like, you know, guys, in healthcare, why are you so backward? <laughs> and so we need much better, closer partnerships between engineers, investors, you know, technology folks, and clinicians who understand the day-to-day -day work. Because I, I don't think AI, as I said, is going to be like some magic that'll just take over the delivery of healthcare. I don't think that'll work. I don't think it'll be good. Um, and so if we're not going to have that, then we just need better conversations among the people trying to do things together and connected to the aims, which is at, at the end of the day, you know, living longer, living better, and asking people whether we're measuring that. So I think uh, we have to try to be optimistic and put all of these things in place, and it's going to take time. No, no, but great, great. I guess maybe just the last one for me, last question, just I guess a, a point you made in your, in, in your presentation when you're talking about in our context, and I think I'll go back to, we spoke a little bit about this earlier, that in our context, you know, you had a, you had a triangle where you spoke about the clinician, you had the patient. But the thing is that one of the challenges we have is that we do already have the short. So in our context, I mean, what's your, is this the kind of thing as an industry that prior to the pandemic had a shortage and that, that exacerbated it even more and some external factors? Is this the kind of thing that, to, to use an example, the reason why PESEL or EcoCash or eco work in the context they do is simply because it was the most effective way. They didn't have the bricks and mortar necessarily to bank across the whole country, but this, the technology gave them an opportunity to do that. Is there a possibility we're in a similar kind of situation where it is the way forward? Yeah, I, I do believe there is. Um, so, you, you know, you're quite right in pushing at me about the sort of possible unintended consequences of the new tech and, you know, another new thing to add into a really challenged system. But the example that I gave with um, breast cancer, for example, which is, you know, diagnosed late, too late for treatment, too late for effective treatment in so many cases in Southern Africa and, and beyond LM, LMICs in general. Um, if you can put an ultrasound probe in the hands of a primary care person in a rural clinic, and I believe this is possible with, with AI support, those diagnoses can be made. And that breast cancer can be picked up earlier and treated earlier with much simpler interventions at lower cost. So I think there's, you know, right there is the use case. I think there's going to be a pull from clinicians to, to bring this in and it can be made affordable. So it can't be $50 a pop, which was the example I gave for diabetic retinopathy screening, but we know that the marginal cost of those kinds of things, of the, of the AI, you know, single tapping on the algorithm that's sitting in the sky, or, um, you know, the image processing for the retinopathy screening, the, the marginal cost is not $50, it's, mm. it's, it's pennies. And so I think that's scalable, affordable, um, and can be introduced into healthcare systems with with uh, with a bit of design. Um, we know in the example that are that are put forward for for retinopathy screening, you know, you do need that expensive camera. I think people are working on that problem. 
Um, and, and there's always sort of, can you get a good image to do the AI on? So the studies are coming out the chain. Hold on, you know. Um, if you try to map this to a low resource setting, there's all going to be all these sort of issues that you hadn't thought about. So you've got to test it out, you know, collect some evidence, and then I think we could have a you know much brighter future for healthcare um, in a lot of different contexts in Africa and, and LMICs in general. Okay, and well, thanks for that, Gary. Cool. Now, thanks for thanks for chatting to me. Um, it's been it was a really interesting talk. I think you know the 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 two talks that started off yours and Chris's I guess it's a it's a really topical area and I guess being able to explore it in terms of what does it mean for healthcare was was really informative. Thanks for that. That's fine. Thanks a lot.